Joel, welcome back to the Invisible Path, man. Thanks for having me, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, man. No, thanks for having me. <laughs> I think it's I think it's your topic this week. Um, yeah. But hey, yeah. hey, man, nice nice shirt you got there. <laughs> I appreciate that. Man. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah. So we're gonna get into what I think is gonna be a fun fun topic: swimming upstream and critical thinking. Why uh, why it's maybe worth it to swim against the current. But before we do that, I want to jump into, we have, a, we have a single question this week, and it's kind of a fun one. Uh, coming in from Paul, it says, I listened to you two talk about the feeling of picking up an album, and it made me think back. My first album was Jagged Little Pill. I think that was Alanis Morissette. That's my, my subtext there. Uh, do you guys know what your first album purchase was? You want to go first? Or I'll go, go first because I, I, <laughs> I was I was like cycling through and I know the answer and my answer is uh, so perfectly embarrassing that I love it. The very first album I ever purchased was Weird Al Yankovic and it was the, the album where he covered uh, Nirvana Nevermind. Now That's I hilarious. purchased a parody album as the first music yeah. purchase I ever <clears throat> made. Yeah, so I think I think for me, um, well, I was buying tapes. I was buying tapes before I was buying albums, but eventually I did get into albums. The first album I got um, was from The Police. And I remember uh, discovering after I brought it home that it was printed on, I think they call it virgin vinyl or something, but you hold the record up to the light and it looks black, but you hold it up to the light and it's this amber color. Ooh. if you say if you have a light bulb right in front of it it was beautiful and huh. uh there's something to that but you know i really like the the gatefold albums uh led zeppelin physical graffiti um it, albums that have holes in them that are like punched out and then the sleeve is printed and then there's an interaction there so yeah led zeppelin physical graffiti uh rolling stones some girls that's another one that has a great uh, interaction there. And then um, if you can get uh, sticky fingers, Rolling Stone sticky fingers with um, that, it has a cover designed by Andy Warhol and it has a zipper on the front of it. It has like a picture of uh, uh, basically men's jeans, a man's kind of crotch region with a zipper on it. And then the sleeve on the inside. Um, yeah, it's been a long time. I'm pretty sure it's a banana. So it's an, it's an Andy Warhol thing. It's great. It's great. So, <clears throat> yeah. There is, man, and I know we are, we've already covered that, but there is, there is just so much room for play within that tactical analog reality that just doesn't exist digitally. Like you just could not do the, you could not do those things. Not only would people <clears throat> not see them, but you could not do those things. Oh, okay. Hands down. Yes, Absolutely. The, actually, the, the, the band that pushed it farther, I think, than anyone else I'm aware of is, is Parliament, at George Clinton, Parliament, P-Funk. Um, they had, I remember, and then Bootsy, who spun off from that. There was, a, there was an album from Bootsy where he was famous for having like these star-shaped glasses with like rhinestones or diamonds or something around the edge. And you could, one of the albums had 
um, glasses on the front, like the cover had, I believe it was the cover had like perforations and you could push out mm. uh, your own pair <laughs> of like a cardboard version. Of <clears throat> then they had another, then they had another one. This is the last album rant. They had another album. It was a parliament album where they always did concept albums. They had like different characters that they would bring into the songs and different themes. And there was this one where they had, uh, it was a gatefold album. It would open up and they had an insert and you could punch out all of these little characters that were featured in the songs. And then the album itself was sort of like a play backdrop. Like they made kind of like a toy world and you could punch the characters out and then move them around or something. I don't know if they were envisioning this was for like eight-year-olds. It's hilarious. Uh, just a, just like a genius way to, yeah. to repurpose uh, repurpose that material that you're gonna that someone's gonna take home from the record store. Yeah, and and a way to interact with people who appreciate what you're doing, yeah. right? Like that that's another interesting component of that. And and it is <clears throat> it leads it leads loosely into what we're doing, right? It, it, they are people that were doing things differently. Um, so this topic, this topic of critical thinking and, and how or why to swim against the current, because I do think there's a question there. So I want to kind of start with that. You know, the, the metaphor of swimming against the current is pretty, pretty obvious. It is, there is a force that <clears throat> is opposing you and you are trying to go in, in that, in that direction uh, that the force is opposing. So there's a restrict, there's a restrictive quality. There's, there's a, there's a, there's an energy that is working against you. So my question is going with the flow clearly offers less resistance, less energy output than working against the stream. And this is just in the, in the, if we're just viewing this as a river, right? Like if you get into a river and you put a tube on and you float down the river, that's gonna be a much easier process than if you get in that river, you put a tube on and you try to go up the river. Is it worth it? Why, why would we wanna, why would yeah. we wanna go against this stream? Cause it's hard. Yeah, there's benefits to not doing it. There's benefits to, um, yeah. to being with the herd. Um, and as you talk about that, Patrick, I mean, I think about how <clears throat> it's really, <clears throat> it's dependent on, it's almost like it's dependent on the time that you're living in. Mm. There are some times where it probably makes a great deal of sense to um, follow the herd and be within the consensus. And then there are other times where you can see the, the dislocations, the contradictions, the, the high weirdness of the times um, and, and if you're, if you have awareness of that, then you don't have a choice. You, you have to, you have to pay attention to what is going on and, and, uh, think in a different way potentially and, and push back against that because it's hard to do, but sometimes you have to try to be sane in, in an insane society. Um, yeah. things are, but it, it is so strange. Uh, like recently I've been questioning because I've been thinking about this topic that, that you propose. And sometimes I just question, am I really thinking critically or am I, am I just possessed by some thoughts and ideas and memes that other people have put out there? Which is it? Am I just captured by one side or the other, or am I actually uh, an independent thinker at all? 
I, right. I, I went through those same thoughts. I think those, <laughs> I think those are very valid thoughts. I think yeah. that's a really important piece to add into this conversation. Um, I also think, you know, you mentioned it depends on what time you're living. It also depends, um, and time kind of works in this, but where you're living. Because in a hunter-gather society, 100% of the time, it is most advantageous to go with the flow, right? If you live around 200, 250 people, the opportunity for corruption is, is ridiculously limited because if, if you're in a circle of 250 people, you know everyone's business, everyone knows your business. And if someone's taking advantage of the system, it is incredibly likely there are social repercussions that will take care of that problem. Now, at the same time, if you go outside of what's normal and you start doing your own thing in a society that small, you are going to almost certainly pay social consequences for doing so. And, and those social consequences, you know, the way we evolved as humans 250,000 years ago, those social consequences were essentially, hey, get out of our living space. You're going to go die on your own out in the wilderness. And that was kind of the consequence. So we're set up, like the framework of our brain is set up to, to pay attention to what society is doing and to likely follow that because it was very advantageous for our ancestors. But also they had this protection, right? The ancestors had this protection of being in a small group and, and corruption being very limited. We've lost that cap on corruption. <clears throat> Essentially, we're, we live in big enough societies now that corruption is very easily swept underneath the rug. And I think what, what, I, what I view is, you know, if you go with the flow, there is going to be a certain amount of leakage of uh, whatever it is, resources. Now, how that resource gets leaked away from you, it, it is what it is. But the system is designed to kind of siphon off some of those resources. So then the question to me became, you know, there's, a, there's an amount of resources that are utilized for swimming against the stream for sure. So are we viewing this as like a resource for resource? Uh, you know, is it is it more is it more resource conscious to swim with the stream, or is it more resource conscious to swim against society and kind of do your own thing? And I think that's an interesting question, but it may not be the ultimate question. But what do you think about that? Like, just resource Man. if you just vacuumed it out to resources, which way do you think leaks more energy, or, or energy may not be the right word. Resources is more broad. So Patrick, I, I love that we're having these conversations because I would have never thought about the scale of the society that you're living in and how that relates to the, the honesty and the kind of efficiency of, of that system. And, and to your point, um, I mean, the reason why it makes, the other reason why it makes so much sense, you know, with that small society to follow the herd is that it is just evidently a more honest arrangement. It just has to absolutely. be. Absolutely. And, and yeah. And as you say, there, there's just so much, as this society gets larger, there's a lot more opportunity for, for shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> so, shenanigans <clears throat> is a good word. <laughs> <clears throat> Scallywags. <laughs> so, um, but uh, so, so I think that's, that's a pretty interesting thing. So yeah, the question of resources and when does it make sense or not? I mean, I don't even know if you can really go about it necessarily in such a rational way all the time. I mean, sometimes it has to deal do with your temperament and 
your almost like your disgust response like when you see the when you see the corruption when you see the um the preposterous amount of uh acceleration in in wealth inequality and all these things happening and then at the same time the um the institutions that are creating that lying to your face and saying that they're not doing it or that it's not a consequence of their actions. Um, it forces you essentially to, to almost pick a side, which, which is, they would like you to pick a side. They would like you to, to make pick it super easy for them. Yeah. Red, red <laughs> tribe or blue tribe. Right. Yes, um, for sure. and, th- and that's a challenge. So I think I, it, I don't think it can, you know, it has, it has to be dependent on your situation too. And yeah even if you are a heretic with your thoughts, it may not be in your best interest at the moment to, mm. to go ahead and spread that around that heresy of yours around yes. everywhere. Um, you may, you may be living in such a uh, strangely corrupt environment that you might need to keep some of those thoughts to yourself um, because thought yeah. crime is certainly a thing these days. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, so so I think I think that's kind of right on the mark of what I was thinking. And what I what I really what I'm what I really kind of boiled this down to for me is I think there are I think there is an effort, uh, an effort component to to swimming against the stream, to to doing things uniquely or to to working against the societal norms. And, and I, I think likely that there, it takes more effort. I think likely that the metaphor holds true and to do things your own way requires more effort. I do think that if we, if we think about what is the worst, what is the worst thing we could do to a human? Um, it is essentially taking away their, their ability to make choice. And, um, if, if everything is pulled away from you and you are just, you are just, this is how everything is laid out for you. That, that seems to create very, very miserable humans. So I look at this, there's this, this saying, and I'm going to try to jumble all these thoughts and put them in a, in a context that makes some sense. But there's this saying that uh, took me like a year to understand from Sakuru, which is you are responsible for everything. And when he says that, he doesn't mean like, oh, you're responsible for everything you do. He, he will literally say, Patrick, you are responsible for World War II. Patrick, you are responsible for World War I. And that like is so jarring and, um, and, and off-putting because, hey, Sakura, I wasn't alive for either of those events. How do I have responsibility for them? And his response is, you know, you have the ability to respond to what has happened. And that once that idea kind of in, ingrained within me, I, I started to really I started to really appreciate things differently because when you have the ability to respond to anything that happens, uh, you you have complete freedom. And I think I think this this path of swimming upstream offers you complete freedom. Even if you are working so hard that you are only treading water, you are controlling what you are doing. And, and that feeling of being able to, to do what you want to do, 
even if it doesn't work out, there's some benefit to that. So this, this thought of swimming upstream, really, I think, okay, working against the societal norms is going to, is going to likely cost you more resources. There's, it, it, it can also lead to fantastic rewards, right? Like we've used Bezos plenty of times on this thing. If he didn't do something that was abnormal and, and create an online bookstore, he's not be a billionaire flying into space for 30 seconds. Like that, that doesn't happen unless, unless you do yeah. that. So there, there's opportunity for reward. But the likelihood is you're not going to become Jeff Bezos. The likelihood is you're more, you're more likely to become Patrick Brennan than Jeff Bezos. And uh, <laughs> that yeah, that's a good might... deal. I'll <laughs> well, take it. <clears throat> I'll take it, man. Some people <laughs> might take that, but there's a lot of people that yeah. wouldn't take that. You know, like th there's, a, there's a lot of effort that goes in. And I think when people come out and visit me, more often than not, they're shocked by the amount of things I do and the amount of work that's going into my life. And it just feels normal for me. But I also realize it's not normal. It is absolutely abnormal that at five o'clock, I don't turn off the lights and, and start like living. At five o'clock, I'm halfway through the workday a lot of the times. So I'm like, let's go plant some seeds. Like the, so I think that this, I think that the, what the question came down to for me of, is it worth it is, is effort is a ridiculous amount of effort worth the freedom that it, that it offers me. And for some people that answer may very clearly be no. Like if, for some people, the answer is at five o'clock, I get my freedom, right? At, at five o'clock to when I go to bed, that's my free time. But for me, the freedom is when I wake up to when I go to bed. And I also am working my ass off in, in the middle of that. So to me, the question of, okay, is it worth it became yes, very easy. It, it was the freedom that I've created that, that allows that. And that, that is what works for me and it doesn't work for everybody. It, do, can you put, is there a calculation you can put around that idea of, is it worth it before we get into how you do it? Because I think, is it worth it is a very important question for everyone to ask. And asking that question alone is kind of like critically thinking about your life. Is this worth it to go against the, the path? <clears throat> well, it probably depends on your level of awareness and your ability to tolerate pain. <laughs> so yeah, pain um, for sure. Absolutely. So you, I mean, the, the society Risk tolerance, the society would like you to compromise a lot of things that, um, that are part of your humanness, I would say. Yeah. And they would like you to forget about those things. They would like you to forget about those feelings, those experiences. They would like you to suppress all of that, maybe channel it just into consumption and planning for the future um, and playing, playing their games, picking one side or the other, and then being mad at the other side. And there is a, there's, there's probably like a, you know, you mentioned freedom there's a price for that freedom. I think part Absolutely. of that price is alienation. Absolutely. To Absolutely. Some degree, right. Yes. Um, maybe that's an okay thing. I mean, when a, when a, it's interesting, you know, I've been reading, I started picking up and rereading this old, uh, this old book, um, Timothy Leary, high priest. And it's all about him. Uh, it opens up with him being a, like a 44 year old, psychology professor having two children traveling abroad being in spain uh being 
uh, being sick, having, having some kind of sickness he comes down with and trying to not get kicked out of this tiny hotel that he's in because one of his kids wants this puppy that he found on the streets in Spain or something. And he's, he's sick out of his mind and he's like, has these boils or these something erupting all over his body and he has a fever and he's on the floor wiping up dog crap and he has to hide the fact that they have a dog so they don't get kicked out of this place and he throws the the dirty rags and toilet paper out the window and it hangs up on a clothesline as a flag (laughs) to his to his his lies or his you know his sneaking this dog in he reaches this absolute low point and this book though is about him essentially cracking through what he thought was what he should be doing and and gaining access to all of these you know, high weirdness, psychedelic spaces and really coming in contact with some kind of very um, ecstatic and religious experience. And, and so as, as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, am I focusing or as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, am I fo- have I been focusing on all the wrong things? I've been focusing so much on, um, on protection, on trying to, trying to like, you know, yeah, find that insulation from the culture in and build up, I guess, material, uh, some kind of material wealth and protection in that way. And, and I'm forgetting about this other space completely. I've completely disregarded the the, the spiritual element, the and and all of these things that I was far more concerned with when I was younger. And yeah. so, um, I don't even know what your original question was anymore, but. But, but there, there are all these spaces that, that the culture would prefer you didn't explore because it, it really doesn't serve the culture at all. Yeah. And, and so I guess part of critical thinking might be taking a step back away from the culture. Like I think about um, in, in meditation, they talk about uh, you know, the observer and maybe can you get to the point where you're up in the balcony and you're observing yourself. And in the same way, maybe that's what we need to do with the cultural moment that we exist in. If we really want to think critically, like, can you step outside of the headlines that you see on your phone and look at this from a historic perspective instead? And maybe that gives you a little more context uh, and, and will help you to to better choose a course of action or how a, a course for how you want to live your life instead of being caught up in choosing a side or even being caught up in just uh, whatever pandemic, all that stuff, like yeah. zooming out, viewing it from the balcony, I think can be a, a critically important thing to, to thinking critically and swimming against that current. I think you, you think, yes. That balcony thing is super interesting um, because the balcony is a, is a completely different perspective. Um, I, I saw a comedy show like right before COVID shut down. So probably February of 2020. And we chose to sit up in a balcony. And it was the first time I had seen comedy from a balcony and the perspective shift was so dramatic that I, I, the moment I got up there, it just, 
everything looked like a performance, right? If I had been sitting at, yeah. at stage level, it like feels like a conversation and comedy is not a conversation. It, it is a performance. But the moment I got this little bit of elevation and it was 20 feet, right? I'm looking down and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, these guys are putting on a play. I'm just watching a play that they've done 10,000 times that they are not attached to at all. They are pretending to be attached to the things they're saying because they have repeated them every weekend for the last 52 weekends. Um, and that came from 20 feet of shift. So I think that person that, that we, we, we forget how valuable little tiny perspective shifts can be. And we know that they're like, we hear all the time, eyewitness testimony is really unreliable because everybody has a different perspective of what they saw. And the, the moment that you come into a scene dramatically impacts how you interpret things. And I think also when we look at what is going on in society today, um, the value of critical thinking is exponentially increased because things are set up right now so that you make binary choices so that it is super easy to be like, I wear a red hat, so I'm against these things. I wear a blue hat, so I'm against these things. Instead of thinking, hey, what are the things that are that I, I value? Like maybe maybe the color of hat that I wear should should be led on by the thoughts that I actually have instead of starting with the color of hat that I wear de deciding how I think. And I, I think that I think we are in a position right now. I know we are in a position right now because I'm having these conversations where the, the color of hat you wear decides how you think about things instead of the other way around. And that that is really interesting and it's deeply woven into the fabric of our society. Absolutely. And, and to bring this back to your original story, comedy is hypnosis. It really is. Like it's more than just performance. Like that's, yeah. it's, they're a magician and they're hypnotizing the crowd. Absolutely, And yeah. so for you to be, in the balcony, I would imagine it was almost just not as funny because you were able it was to, be, not as funny, for to sure. be detached from <laughs> yes. it. And so if, if you're going to a comedy show to be entertained, you actually should willingly choose to be hypnotized and be yes. down in the crowd with everyone else. Yes. But if it's your, if it's your whole life you're talking about, do you really want to be hypnotized with that crowd? Yes. You have to move to the balcony. So I think that's a brilliant <laughs> thing you you uh, you picked up there. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, we we've talked before about how like a fish doesn't know yep. water. what water is, right? Yeah. And we're it's not that we're all swimming in water. It's that we're almost all in our own separate fish bowls. Yeah. Some of us are in salt water. Some of us are in fresh water. Like the. Um, Terrence McKenna had a term for this. He called it the balkanization of epistemology. If you want to know what that means, just Google those two words. But anyways, what, but what it means is that you have, you have all of these people, it's beyond just red and blue, but you have these, you have these groups that are split up into different worldviews. They use different, they have different languages. They have different value structures. They have different beliefs and, um, and, and they can't even talk to each other. It is like yep. oil and water. They just do not mix. And so like oftentimes like this week, I've been taking a step back and thinking, okay, I have some strongly held opinions or views about something. Is it because 
I really think that, and I really have some knowledge around that, or is it because it just, that just aligns with the tribe that I most identify with. And yeah. if all of your beliefs, if all of your values align with the tribe that you, that you sort of, uh, you know, have affinity towards, are you really thinking for yourself? Are you really a free agent or are you just hypnotized? Are you just down there in the crowd with everyone else? Yep. Um, and it, it's, it's a fascinating thought exercise. And I don't think most people are cut out for that. I think it's far too uncomfortable to do that. Um, it's uncomfortable for me to do it. Um, it is uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah. I think that's question. a really good word. Yeah. Yeah. It, but I would argue that we're all cut out. Like we have the, we have the, we, we have all the capabilities. Everyone has the capabilities required to do this. Um, and I think, you know, using red and blue as the analogy uh, can, can be off-putting because what you mentioned, this is way like red and blue just happen to be the, the two political colors, but this is not necessarily a, a political conversation. The political thing is like, yeah. it's there, but there are so many things. The, the, I mean, the, the binary choices of yes or no are, are, are broken out across society now. I mean, the nuanced conversation is essentially has essentially been eliminated from from our culture. It is yes, no, move on to the next thing. And if it's yeah. no, you don't move on to the next thing because you can't have a conversation with that person. And, and, and if you do have a conversation with that person, it's likely going to end in a fist fight. So you may as well not have that conversation. So with that, like with, with the prevalence of this, of, of that within the culture of the prevalence of like whether, and sometimes I think the challenge is when it's yes, no, sometimes when you say no, you think you're critically thinking, right? There, there's only two choices, but you chose, you chose the negative quote unquote of the two choices. And therefore you, you believe you're critically thinking. And I think that I think that is a danger that's out there right now is um, people, people seem to believe that be, just because they have an, an opposing thought process, um, that, that means they're critically thinking. And I don't, I don't think that's true either. I think that you, you can, you know, we, I could say whatever, right? Like I can say, hey, there's no oxygen on planet Earth. That is, that is a, an opposition to the norm, but it's not critically thinking. It, it, it's just wrong. And those are, those, are two, those are two really different concepts. So with, with the prevalence in society and with this, with this idea of like everything is so set up to choose yes or no, how do we find the path to elevation? How do we get to the balcony where we can kind of, kind of look down? Is there, a, is there a thread that you like to start from to pull yourself up? Uh, so, so it's interesting. Yeah. So there's so many, there's so many different places that I we know. could take this, but <laughs> what I think is, what is so interesting today is if you'd like to find, if you'd like to try to like dig down to the truth of something, um, you can find something online that will, uh, corroborate your position it will, no matter what it is, no matter what and, it is, for sure. And and I think it's it's very evident if if you're being honest about it. If you look into the literature that like science 
some science has been captured by this as well. Absolutely. And, and so, and, and even if you, like, even if you are a scientist or an engineer or something, that doesn't mean, like, I, I'm aware when I look at different research papers online that I'm not always qualified to, to know if this, you know, a particular study was performed correctly or not, or if the statistical Absolutely. analysis is done right, or if they're gaming yep. the thing, if they're cherry picking data for, a, you know, studies for a meta-analysis. I, you know, I can find something for, you know, for Rona that's about, you know, this vitamin or that vitamin or this supplement or that supplement or, or a drug, does it work or not? I can find, I can find tons of papers and meta paper, meta analysis for both sides. Both sides. That, that I find just completely horrifying at this point. And, and, and so then, then you're left to choose, well, okay, which type you're almost left to pick personalities. Like, one person's talking about it. I prefer their personality versus this other person. That's terrible. I think it's interesting though, to pay attention to, if you, if you can't figure it out for yourself and you have to listen to experts, you should pay attention to who, who are the heretics, who has nothing to gain, who, who are the people that are, um, have nothing to gain from, their, from pushing their opinion. And maybe they actually have something to lose for pushing that opinion. I think that's pretty interesting. But if you look at, if you look at, look at like um, uh, Schopenhauer's, uh, I think that's how you pronounce it, his uh, three stages of truth, that's a fascinating one. So tr- truth is first ridiculed, and then it's violently opposed, and then it is deemed to be self-evident, mm-hmm. right? And so you should, sometimes it's interesting to, to question, well, are we just in a stage of truth for something, for some particular, you know, talking point? where it's just being violently opposed and pretty soon it's going to be self-evident because you see that happen like in real time right now, all the time. I think that's just, it, it's terrible for the average person who's trying to like dig down and understand what is real and what is not. Uh, yeah. And so we live in very confusing times and that is all the more reason to do what you're doing, which is to essentially drop out of a lot of the value systems and a lot of the games of the culture and and swim against that stream because why the hell would you go downstream with this when there's just like dead fish and old fish hooks and garbage in the river like it's just uh, it's yeah. just so it's just such a mess out there um, and so to pull yourself out of that to some degree I think is just a necessary a necessary action. Who man, I. I think that's real. I think it's fascinating. I think I think we are inter- we are entering an interesting place that I'm not sure. I uh, shoot. I don't know. I, I've only been alive for 40 years, so who who the heck knows? But um, we seem to be in this place. This what feels very unique, where where the the self evident component of this seems like it could have flaws because the bubbles that people are living within have have developed different realities and if if the different rea- the the truth right if we if we i have i have this deeper conversation with myself about uh, a universal reality because i think the word reality is is very valuable i think that the self-evidency of a universal reality 
has to be re- ha- the hmm, self-evidency wouldn't be the right word, but I think there needs to be a shared understanding of a self-evident reality. And I am worried that we are losing grip with a shared reality because we are rewarding things that are clearly not. We are rewarding, we are rewarding speaking about things as if they are real that will never possibly be self-evident. And we are pretending that things are that are not self-evident are self-evident and just allowing that to slip into the fabric of society. And I think when we, I think that this, there's this concept, there's this very dangerous concept to me that, uh, that is interestingly, man, I don't want to make this. There's, a, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring in the sides in on this at all because I don't want this to be about sides. Yeah. Uh, but there is, there is this idea that is pushed that everyone deserves to have their own truth. And, and I think that is such a dangerous idea. I think that everyone absolutely deserves to have their own perspective because you have your own perspective, but there must be societal rewards for pushing your perspective towards the universal truth. And the universal truth is a place that we all exist and share and share ownership of. And if we start saying that that place doesn't exist anymore, we lose the connection, the fabric of society that allows us to exist in within society. And I am very, very concerned about about granting people the right to have their own reality, because it does not it does not work for formulating a functioning society for everyone to be able to say whatever you want and you not to be able to say, man, uh, there is not a thirty seven foot snake like right behind me. That's not a thing that is happening right now. And if you see that, like we need to get you some mental help. It's not, it's not like, it's not a question of, is there a snake behind me? I know there's not a snake behind me right now. There's snakes behind me. If I go far enough, there probably is. But right here in this room, there's not. So um, we like, there needs to be some type of, of, I, I believe that there's a social repercussion that has to be enforced when you, when you are saying things that are just not, that could not possibly ever be given that gift of self-evidency because they're not, they're just not true within the reality that we all share. And, and I think we're pushing away from that idea. And I think that it is a remarkably dangerous path to work ourselves down. And it, it, it's probably the concept that terrifies me most. It, it'll go away, but I unfortunately, <laughs> so, so I think, I think that, um, I mean, this is just par for the course right now because we live in such a wealthy and decadent society that yeah. you have the luxury of just kind of screwing around <laughs> quite a bit that's, if you want to. And, and, um, and so you can see that the culture is splintering off in all these different directions. And, it, you know, you'd mentioned how you don't want to get this down to red and blue or, or picking. I think part of this is that if you've picked a side, you're wrong. Yep. I can be, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think it, it's not the choice between picking one side or the other. 
it's the choice between picking polarization or picking some kind of unity essentially. Yep. Um, and, but, but right now, I mean, everyone, I think there are so many people are under a collective hypnosis and we used to have more of a cohesive society. If you, I mean, if you go back to the hunter, hunter gatherer to the archaic, you know, tribes and all that, they were in, they had more of a uh, periodic religious communion that would bind everyone together. That would, that would help um, reestablish a shared worldview. And now that doesn't happen anymore. Um, Any kind of, um, you know, use of those kinds of substances. And I'm too old and and like rigid and freaked out to even dabble in that anymore. But nowadays that's just, that's just been like kind of brought into um, Western values of, well, this will be good for you. This will help your productivity. And now the real, I hate to say it, but like the, the, the people that bring back the knowledge, the last ones are really well, it's not Bezos, but it's the, the astronauts, the real astronauts that went to space and looked down at the planet yeah. in, in the 60s. That was like a completely, you know, mind, like skull breaking open, mind expanding experience for them <laughs> where they realized, oh, all of this political nonsense that, that we're engaged in, this infighting on the planet is a ridiculous distraction, right? Yeah. And, and we should really simplify this thing down to like, you know, turning this place into some kind of garden of Eden and protecting the planet from asteroids. And then if you want to screw around with like populating Mars or the moon, cool, do that next. But let's focus on this place and, and figuring that out. Um, But yeah, picking sides. I mean, you should question like whether or not you're really in control of your opinion and your, your views or not, or if you're just being run by, by headlines uh, and by one last thing on this rant is your personality. So if you give people a personality test, you can predict, I think within like 75% or 80% confidence, what their political preference is. And yeah. so some of this, you cannot necessarily control um, people that have dirty bedrooms and more chaotic living spaces. I'm not saying that as a judgment, you should see what's behind on the other side of this camera. (laughs) They tend to be, they tend to be maybe less conscientious and maybe more on the left leaning side. Whereas people, and I'm sorry, people actually that are more open, people that have, that are more open to new ideas that are, it's called being high in openness. Those people are apparently more on the left leaning side people that are on the more conservative side and that would like to hold the existing values together, they have a higher disgust response. They see something going wrong and they're disgusted by it. Whereas mm-hmm. people on the left are like, look, let it fly. Who cares? My, my bedroom's a mess. Um, <laughs> and so everything's fine. And so, so what I'm saying is that like, you're not even necessarily in charge of, of whether you're going to lean left or right it's not always up to you and so to 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 have awareness of that and then to have the i don't know call it courage maybe to entertain something that's on the other side of the aisle just to see what that feels like and to see if maybe there's some truth there mm-hmm. um that's a fascinating exercise maybe you'll learn something about yourself um almost yeah, certainly you will yeah i i think that 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 piece 
you know, can you, can you put yourself in the, in the position where, where you view the opposite perspective? And that doesn't mean, you know, like if you, if you are vehemently opposed to whatever, whatever thought process you're having, it doesn't mean you have to like flip sides. Like, can you just think about it and see where the common ground is? And then once you understand the common ground, you, you have so much more opportunity to, to move forward. And and I, man, I see this, this is, this is part of the binary process is there, there is essentially no willingness to think about, about the other side of the coin and, and what the other side of the coin may, may want or the feelings the other side of the coin may have. And whether you agree with the feelings or desires of the other side of the coin, does it necessarily matter? But if you want to get anything done, you have to find, like, you have to figure out how to get the other side of the coin to interact. Like, even if you believe you are a hundred percent right, if you are, if you are in a, if you are in a situation where it is a 50, 50 split, you, it's you arguing against one other person. If you want to have any type of positive ending to this outcome, you have to figure out where where you can where you can bring that person closer to you. And if you think the way to bring the other person closer is to tell them how wrong they are, you're you're gonna be disappointed. And I will guarantee you, you've been disappointed every single time you've done that because it works out the same every single time. I heard this great line, which is that you can win arguments or you can win. And, and no one likes to be told that they're wrong or building bridges at all. It doesn't work for making connections. Yeah. Uh, And uh, I mean, society, you know, this whole theme of swimming against the stream, I mean, you have to realize it's good to like understand that like society runs on durable fictions of all sorts and and we we just sort of accept them and your ability to um well investors talk about how your ability to remain the market can be irrational longer than you can um actually keep your investment or your your uh your trade in the game right and it's the same thing with the culture like the culture can be out of sync with proper values for a hell of a long time and it's so you might just have to find your own people your own tribe and create your own thing and push in a very small localized level uh, to make things the way you want them to be instead of trying to go out there and ask other people with power and control to change them for you, because mm-hmm. that's not going to work. But I mean, like just to, just to, just to get specific for a minute on some of the durable fictions that like we run on in the developed world, I made a quick list. So one might be that your vote matters in a two party system. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one might be that the national debt doesn't matter. Uh, and that you can just print money, and that's that's the same thing as wealth. That increasing yep. the amount of currency units is the same thing as increasing wealth. That works for a while, but not not forever because mm-hmm. those digits don't actually have intrinsic <laughs> value. Um, Jay, 
another one might be that JFK, that whole thing doesn't matter. I want to get back to that in a second. Um, That creeping corruption is okay. The cultural decay isn't happening and that we can collectively just ignore risk. Um, But so, so if you swim against the current with your thoughts, if you're some sort of thought criminal, you're going to be identified and labeled as such. And this gets back to, uh, to JFK. Um, it was a few years after, after his assassin, assassination in 62 that um, the, I think it was the, was the FBI or CIA, one of those two, I think it was the CIA, they noticed that um, there were these pesky people who were questioning the narrative of what happened there. And so they came up with a term, conspiracy theorist, and then they shared that. They pushed that out to the newspapers and made sure that they used that term to label and cartoonify and dehumanize and belittle uh, anyone who has a position that goes against the um, the against the the narrative that was put forth, you know, by the government, right? And so this will happen all the time now. Anyone, if essentially, if you do not fall in line with what the durable fictions are and with what the norm is right now, you'll be labeled in some way. You'll be cartoonified and dehumanized in some way. Yep. And the, the mob that, uh, that is opposed to you, they might come get you sometime if you're too loud, right? Mm-hmm. That happens to people. Um, and so I, I think this is a terrible thing where, where essentially if you use that term, you're really just saying, well, I, I totally side with the establishment and anyone who disagrees with it obviously doesn't have a real position. And, and then you're just siding with, with just the power structures. It's a fascinating thing. It's like the hijacking of language. Um, you have to be essentially, if you're going to swim upstream and against the current, you have to see how language plays a really important role in all of this as well. Yeah. Uh, so I've been thinking about that from the exact opposite side, which is really interesting. I've been thinking about, you know, the, I think that 10 years ago, uh, the, the term conspiracy theorist really did mean critical thinker. It, it to me, to me. Mm. Yeah, and, good point. And now I feel like, I feel like there has been so, like, I think there are there are some really interesting things to look at. I think the JFK assassination is a is a very interesting thing. There are things that went on around that event that don't make a ton of logical sense, right? Like there there are weird things there, and I don't know I don't know what that means, but I do think yeah. it's a, it's an interesting thing to look at. But to lump that idea and flat Earth or hollow Earth in the same encapsulation, <laughs> totally really like it really changes the way you think about those people who were thinking about really weird things i actually think i actually think the 60s moon thing is really weird and i don't know like every smart being says we went to the moon but i find it super like i and i have no idea i think we probably did i hope we did or or man there are really good liars out there like those are two things but it's weird it's weird that the United States did something in the 60s that no other country has been able to replicate and that the technology for doing what we did in the 60s has gotten more expensive 
and that all of these space flights that we go on are 500 miles off Earth's surface. Like the, the, the space station is, is roaming around at 500 miles and that's the furthest we've ever been except for the times when we traveled 183,000 miles to the moon. And those are huge differences. And like, I want to know, I want to know more about that because that is fascinating to me that, that we can't just get on a freaking plane right now and bump up to the moon because it's 2020. And we did this thing in freaking 1960 where we went there and we slung shot our way around the moon with this gravitational force load and all these brilliant beings were able to do these things. I, I think those are questions that I want like out there, but I can't have that conversation more because the moment I have that conversation, someone's like, oh, do you think the earth's hollow too? Maybe. No, I don't think the earth's hollow. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> that's a great, that's a great point that um, <clears throat> the, the terminology has been corrupted further where um, you, you label people that are preposterous, people that have, totally preposterous positions yeah. you you muddy the waters of what a what a, a you know a, a questioning person might be someone who's thoughtfully questioning versus just a loon just a crazy yeah. person yeah. so um it yes we i mean we live in such strange times now and i i don't even know i mean it, it's almost like all of it is a distraction to get you to not think about what you should be doing in your own life to make things better and uh, i don't know i just <clears throat> and then all and the phone of course the phone sucks everybody and they would like you to have these clenched fists and to be outraged about something yep. i mean can you please be outraged about something so you can keep uh viewing our app and yep. so we can serve you more ads so we can you know sell all this ad space to advertisers i mean and that is the whole game and no one even really people aren't don't have awareness of that game what's really happening there um and this yep. mass hyp hypnosis so like what what are your thoughts on maybe other ways to get to get out of this to basically take your hand out of that bucket of water <laughs> that is the culture like what what are your thoughts on like how how it is that you get your brain onto uh, a less corrupted frequency so I think there's I think there's a couple of things. One, I think it's really important that when when you question something, that that you also identify what is the thing that could disprove your questioning, right? So, like I, again, I I will use the moon thing as I think it's fascinating. Like, hey, how is it pop? Like, I want to have the conversation with somebody at NASA and be like, how is it possible that you had these warehouses full of computers? that have less power than the iPhone you have in your hand right now. And yet we're not going there every day. And I, I bet somebody has that answer. And when somebody answers that question, like, boom, okay, then we know that answer. I, I, what I don't, what I think is really dangerous is when, you, when you've identified a side and then no matter what someone shows you, no matter, no matter what evidence is presented, you're just going to change the, the goalpost. Right. If if once you start changing the goalpost, the conversation is essentially over. If if we've established a goal a goalpost and then we disprove we disprove that that goalpost or we prove that that goalpost exists and then the goalpost gets moved another hundred feet, uh, we can't do that because you can just do that forever. We can always move the goalpost. 
So I think it's really important to set your goalposts. Like what are the things that you need to know? And then identify, identify around those things that you need to know, like what actually, what actually makes sense. And maybe you can't get 100% certainty, but can you get 95% certainty? Like, are you, willing, are you willing to stake everything about your reputation on a 5% chance? Like, would you step up to a roulette wheel and be like, hey, you're either going to be, you're either going to be completely believed or completely disbelieved for the rest of your life. You have a 5% chance of being believed. Spin that thing and go. Would you do that? Likely it's no, but maybe it's not, right? If something is that important to you, if something is that important to you, then then take that 5% risk because you might be right. And maybe, maybe as you expand your knowledge base, you can increase that 5% to 10%, to 15%. And that is the way that things change, right? Is if, and also to understand that when you are taking a, a controversial perspective or, a, or if you don't believe it's controversial, but you believe it is not yet recognized, understand that there is a process of introducing not yet recognized ideas into your, into your societal fabric, not just society at large, but the people that you know, and can you approach, can you approach those positions in a way that is not confrontational, that is, that is uh, not divisive, and that is inclusive? Because the more inclusive you are in everything you do, the more successful you will be in everything that you get yourself involved in. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like corrosive to the soul to live in a dishonest society, right? Yeah, you think absolutely. about, and to take it back to your original point with the hunter-gatherers, um, well, not that they had access to it, but they probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't have like a large swath of the population taking antidepressants, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Without a doubt. And, yeah. And, and this is like a lot, like people... People have like compared what's happening today with like late stage Roman Empire, the decadence of it, and absolutely, and and sort of like leading up to some kind of collapse because things do not things do not stay static. I mean, countries go through periods where everyone has a shared value system that seems seems like pretty well aligned with with what's real and what's correct, and then other times things get out of balance and clearly that's where we're at today. And I think partially you have to just get comfortable with, with um, ambiguity and understand and like just the realization and the acceptance that like the information streams are corrupted, the modern day ones. Mm. I think it's very useful maybe to, to read old books. Like mm. if you'd like to get out of the, the corrupted information stream, read books that are a hundred years old yeah, and, and maybe you'll find something there. Um, it, because, and, and go back, do things that are outside of the culture, like planting seeds uh, yeah. after, after the uh, nine to five hours are, are over. Right. Yeah. Um, engaging in activities that, the culture doesn't necessarily deem as, as valuable or worthwhile because they don't have a good way to siphon value off of it, essentially. Yeah. Um, and 
maybe put that damn phone down from time to time. See, this is just advice for me. I'm just giving myself advice right now. Right. Yeah. Like I am not, I'm not good at any of this. And uh, yeah, the hypnosis. I love that, that metaphor and wondering, asking yourself, are you on the ground floor? Are you in the, are you in the mob or are you up on the balcony? Uh, Yeah. That, that is such a massive, that is a massive question. I also, you know, you, you brought up, you brought up Rome and I've been thinking about Rome as we've been talking about this, which, so that's, that's pretty interesting. And I I do think, I do think there's some, there's some significant value in studying ancient societies. I think there's, man, there is so much value in studying early humans because understanding how the human brain has evolved to respond is, is remarkably valuable. Um, yeah, get into evolutionary biology or evolutionary psychology, whatever they whatever they call it these days. Um, political correctness has changed that name. Um, but also, ancient societies are really good, and Rome in particular, because so much of our society is based on Roman norms, and the the collapse of Rome, ugh, it is <laughs> it is so. If you if you get in, you know, Rubicon is a great book, but if you get into the fall of Rome, um, it there is so much mirrored ideology uh, as to, to what we are going through now. And I, I think it's really fascinating. I, I started thinking about Rome because, um, you know, you talked about, you said something along the lines of uh, breaking out and doing, doing things against the norm. And one of the things that one of the things that the Senate used to hate about Caesar is that he wore his his toga loosely bound. Like it was it was the most controversial thing ever that that Caesar started to wear this loosely bound toga. And then the the generation below Caesar who looked up to Caesar started to adapt that fashion sense. And that fashion sense became this like divisive thing within Roman culture. And you think about how, like, how silly is that in a society where everyone essentially wears the exact same thing, they've figured out a way to make that divisive. And that is (laughs) just wonderfully, wonderfully reflective of the binary world that we like to create for ourselves that's incredible that that seems to me like uh like the 1950s versus the 1960s absolutely yeah that's a fascinating thing i mean yeah i I don't know that much about the fall of rome but one of the things in the late stage that happened that gets back to the dishonesty of society is they uh they started diluting their their money so they had gold and gold and silver coins. They started, you know, mixing in copper and diluting their money. Yep. And and uh, so so you can look you can look at a country, you can actually look at a country's coins, the old coins of a country, and you can really gain some knowledge there about how how wealthy the society was and how honest the society was. How much did they dilute their mm. their their coins of base metal? Or do they get to the point where they just essentially have tokens that have purely symbolic value only yep. and don't have any intrinsic value? I think that's a that's a fascinating thing, and it gets down to 
it gets down to honesty on some level. Um, and, and you, it, the, the lie kind of like the lies and the deception and the shortcuts pile up and pile up until the final straw kind of breaks the back of that camel. And, but in, but in the meantime, when all that corruption is happening, that can be a great time for a lot of people. People can make, make a lot of money, um, acquire a lot of private jets and whatever else in those times, because you can siphon so much money out of that system and you can do a lot of productive good as well in those times, but it's, um, it's something to be aware of. Yeah. I I like that idea, Patrick of, uh, of Rome. Yeah. Rubicon. I have not read that. Rubicon is great. The Dan Carlin seven part series Mm. on the fall of Rome is, it is, I think nine hours. And I think I have probably listened to that six times. Like I, I will dedicate, man, I love, I love that, that telling of that tale. I also, to cycle back to another thing you said that I think is valuable that kind of ties into what we're saying now, which is there is opportunity within this. Um, I have a theory that essentially every human that lives is likely going to get about three panicked opportunities within the stock market. And like, if instead of being fully invested, all the time in the stock market, you just took those three panic moments when the market is acting irrationally and, and you have complete detachment, right? So if you're invested, you don't have complete detachment. If you are invested in the stock market and the stock market is crashing, there, there is a guttural reaction within you that is like all of this wealth that I had accumulated, accumulated in quotation marks is, is evaporating because that is what it's doing. And that changes the way you respond to things. And that's why the, 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 the market acts in ways that rational humans wouldn't react because it is a panicked, it is, it is a mob mentality. But if you just sat outside for those moments and you just waited until the mob started to panic and then you put your resources to use at the, at the point of panic and as, as panic grows, you put more and more resources to use who those returns look good. And, and you can, you can kind of look back on, on how that has historically played out. Uh, past performance is not indicative of future returns, but man, I would love, I would love the opportunity to hit all three of those panics in my life. Um, you know, first two, I definitely did not have that opportunity, but, but the third one, I feel really good about when that third one happens, I feel really comfortable that, um, there, there is massive opportunity. And I, I just, I like to tell everybody that it's just like, man, we're going to have another panic. There's going to be, there's going to be another sell-off, how it comes, why it comes, who knows, but it's coming for sure. And to have some resources of readily available just for that purpose seems like a really good idea to me. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, the, the counter example to that would be Japan, which um, even though they're printing like mad all the time, um, their stock market only just recently hit, you know, the same nominal uh, value that it had maybe, I don't know, 30 years ago or something, maybe yeah. in the 90s. So, uh, so who the heck knows, but you could be sure. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have like some pretty epic inflation, but I really 
there's probably going to have to be a lot of, there'll have to be like a significant deflationary event, a real crash before we can justify going even crazier with, with the money. Um, you know, I mentioned old books before, even old cartoons tell mm. the truth. Um, I was watching with uh, one of my kids, I was watching a Scrooge McDuck Disney cartoon from 1967. <laughs> and he was talking about <clears throat> how you should store your wealth. <clears throat> and of course, what does Scrooge have? He has gold. He has a little bit of cash, but he has gold <clears throat> and, and maybe some silver too. But he, they were warning in that cartoon and they were talking about <laughs> how much money a billion dollars is. They said, if you have a billion dollars in like paper dollar bills, it can go around the earth four times. <laughs> and they were like a billion dollars and a trillion dollars is a thousand billion dollars. Right. So like, what I think that's what it is. So we're, <laughs> yeah. So like, you th- so like the, things are just getting so crazy with that. And, and people don't even know about it anymore because they would prefer that you didn't like that Scrooge McDuck cartoon from 1967 has far more education in it about, um, about the financial system and about currency units versus wealth and the potential for inflation and, and devaluation and, and loss of purchasing power than anything you're going to get today, probably even in college. <laughs> it's really yeah, sad. That's um, crazy. And it's, it, it is a, it is a fascinating thing um, to, it, so we're so used to the virtual that everyone's comfortable with just digits on a screen uh, mm-hmm. held at some bank somewhere. And you're fine with that. Um, that has what's called counterparty risk, right? You are at risk. Someone else holds on to that for you. And people are very uncomfortable with the idea of actually like holding in their physical ownership, their physical possession, any silver coins, any gold coins. That feels so uncomfortable to people because everything is virtual. It's easier that way. You don't have to take personal responsibility for it. You would prefer to have the counterparty risk and have someone else manage that for you. And so that's where we find ourselves today. That's part of this game. And they appreciate when you have someone else take ownership of, of your wealth for you because then they can they can skim some percentages off Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a weird thing. It almost sounds like very, um, Oh, I don't know. Very like low, low level and low consciousness level to think about or to discuss money, but there's something that's very, that it's really a larger discussion about the, the honesty of the culture in some yeah. sense when you, when you're talking about it and you think about how like, so like, a, like an ounce of silver, it's whatever, 25, 30 bucks if you want to buy an ounce of silver. It has all sorts of uses. It's the most electro, electrically conductive metal on the planet. Mm. It's used in phones. It's used uh, in electronics everywhere. It's used in solar panels. Yeah, and, um, and most of the good stuff has been mined out. It's hard to actually get silver out of the ground now. And yet it's only like 25 or 30 bucks an ounce. But a Bitcoin, which is a virtual thing, <laughs> you can value so much higher because it doesn't exist. It's like the abstraction of it allows you to assign stupid money values to it. And so I've been, I've been trying to like wrap my head around that where like ideas 
people can uh, like place way more value on ideas than the physical item itself. And mm. I think, I think largely that is a distortion mm. that at some point will revert back to some kind of mean, and that won't be the case anymore that we will value. Um, we will value hard resources being able to produce things and being able to live in the 3D world again. Yeah. But that is not quite the case right now. But we, it won't be a great time when that happens. There will be some kind of, it's, it won't be Absolutely. Mad Max probably. won't be Mad Max probably, but it might be. Probably. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mad Max, I think, was set in this year, 2021. So um, <laughs> we still have a few months to go. Um, but uh, yeah, it is. It, yeah, it is so interesting to just take a step back onto the balcony and just view what are those values that the culture has right now, and are those aligned with what feels good to your soul and what it is to be human? Yeah. Yes. I'm. Hmm. That is. It's such a scary. Uh, I mean that that is. If you think about what it would take to make all of this, all of this digital imagination essentially valueless. It's not that much. I mean, we are, we are working with a 60 to 80 year old power grid. And uh, you, you think if, if we lost, if we lost the capacity to turn things on, how quickly Every yeah. I mean, look around your house right now and think about if we couldn't turn things on, what would actually have value? What what are the things that would that would actually be useful if we lost power? And it's not a lot. Like I am looking around. I'm in the kitchen, which is probably the worst possible place to be, right? But like, shoot, it would be bad news. <laughs> So, I, I, man, I, I think that's a ugh, that that's a really interesting thing, and I think when we when when we are thinking about what it what it is like to to think critically, there is there is a lot of value in going back to the digital analog episode because uh, right now analog things are very much out of vogue. I, I mean the 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 analogy of bitcoin versus gold versus silver versus versus any of those metals um is really 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 clear and distinct <laughs> and yeah. if if we can't turn if we can't turn things on your $30,000 bitcoin is is worth less than zero <laughs> yeah i mean yeah you know we we could probably do a whole episode on money but i mean it is interesting that in, I think it was in 2018, 2017, um, the central banks, maybe it's 20, yeah, 2018, maybe, I don't know, somewhere around there, the central banks of the world, in one year, they bought more gold than they bought in the prior like 60 years combined. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they did that is because they were front running a decision that came down from like the, uh, what was it? The, I don't know if it was Basel, no, not Basel three. I don't know what it is right now, but basically it was something that said, okay, gold is now considered a riskless tier one asset just alongside US treasuries, along United States debt. Before that, the only riskless asset for international trade and settlement was US treasuries. Now, mm -hmm. why is that? The reason why that is is because 
the US dollar used to be something that you could convert if you were outside of the country, you're from France, you're from Germany, you have a bunch of dollars, you could go to the, um, to the US and say, give me gold for that. So the yep. US dollar used to be as good as gold. That went away in 1971 with Nixon. It used to be, if you have an old coin from 19, uh, you have a quarter from 1964 or earlier, it's 90% silver it's worth far more than 25 cents, right? <laughs> so now though, we just have tokens. We, we're living with, with dishonest uh, currency units. And, mm -hmm. and with that, we have a growing dishonesty in the culture and the distortions just continue to grow and the power grid, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna get everyone driving a Tesla. I'm sure the grid will be fine with that. That won't be a problem, so yeah. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> I mean, and you look at the market for old Jeeps, for old vehicles that will survive an EMP blast that, that ha don't have fuel injection. It's yeah. out of control. People yep. will pay $20,000, $30,000, if it's a yep. beautifully restored vehicle, because when the world is running down, you want to yep. make the best of what's still around. And you, some people... So to get back to what you said about investing and, and buying when things are low, analog is very cheap right now. You should buy things that are cheap. Don't buy things when they're expensive. Buy things when they're cheap. So mm -hmm. stockpile as much butter as you can, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. If you're getting cheap butter right now, congratulations, because yeah. butter has gone crazy too. <laughs> but yeah, stockpile butter because butter is amazing. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any final thoughts? Any final thoughts aside from yeah. stockpile butter? <laughs> I mean, I think we've covered so many things. It's really like this has been a bizarrely, it's been a bizarre episode. It's gone in so many places, Patrick. Yeah. I love that. I think it's really about self examination and questioning your assumptions and your, your tendencies. Or whatever side or tribe you have affinity towards and and one you know just thinking to yourself am i under hypnosis on the ground floor at the comedy show show or am i on the balcony viewing this with some detachment and, and some objectivity and i think there's there's value in remembering right like you can have a you can criticize your own your own ideology without doing it out loud. Like no one has to know. You can critically think about everything you believe in without, without sharing that to the world. And you can come right back to whatever makes you feel comfortable and safe as well, right? Like there's no risk. There is no, if you truly are, if you are truly seeking the, the, the truth, the truth is out there, right? X-Files folks, the truth is out there. And if you are, if you are truly seeking that, there is no risk in, in offering criticism of the, of the deeply held thoughts that you have, because if they are true to reality, they will only, they will only solidify, they will only get stronger. But if you're unwilling to, to think about, about the opposing side of the things you deeply believe in, what does that say about those things you deeply believe in? Yeah. Yeah. People, people tend to set up a straw man argument instead of an iron man argument, Absolutely. steel man argument, right? 
Right? Yeah. 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 Knock, knock that, knock those easy things down and never think about the rest. That's right. Heck yeah, man. This, this yeah. was, this was fun. This was, uh, like you said, unexpected and, uh, and meandering and beautiful. <laughs> yeah, man, this is great. I love this. You, yeah. You challenged me, bring up so many interesting ideas and I love that. Um, and, uh, yeah, to fin finish it on a human note, I mentioned your shirt before, but not a no one's watching this on YouTube compared to the amount of people listening. So what For does sure. your shirt say? <laughs> what does your shirt say? Tell My people shirt so uh, says humankind be both. And um, yeah, concept that I put together freaking seven years ago, I think. And I have made so many of these shirts for the world that I, I just freaking love it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's true. Be, be both human and kind. The, the, the possibility exists, people. <laughs> That's good to know. That's encouraging right there. <laughs> yeah. So like Joel said, uh, we, are, we are now uploading these to YouTube. People are starting to find those. So uh, that's, that's good and fun. Um, subscribe on there because that's valuable. Subscribe on uh, this podcast feed that you're almost certainly listening to, because <laughs> it's about ten thousand to one in the uh, listens to to views. But we'd like to get that up, and um, yeah, leave some reviews as well. Cool, Joel. Beautiful man. Appreciate you so That's much. Awesome. You too. <sighs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah, that that was that was that was a very enjoyable conversation for me. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. What a trip, man. Uh, any any thoughts for the future? I don't know. I gotta think about that. I'm not sure. Yeah, any yeah, do you do you have a sense of where you want to take it? You know, I don't know if I sent this over to you and I've talked about this so much, but I, I man, every time we're into something this concept of free will just seems like it keeps popping up, right? And it, it's just this, this, this idea that, you know, when we're born, just matters so much about our, our, our lifespan. Ha, ha, what our personality type just matters so much about the choices we make. And there are, there are all of these, there are all these concepts. And um, I've had this conversation a couple times, but it's been like five to 10 minutes because people just, People are really terrified of the concept of free will. I feel like uh, so someday I'd like to I'd like to dive in for an hour on free will with you because I think there's so much value in. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. let's do. Let's that. do that next. Like that. <laughs> okay, let's do that next. Free will yeah. coming up. Heck yes. Yeah. All right. Man. I like that. Cool. Then I'm I'm beyond cool. excited. That's rad. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what happens. Well, uh, heck yeah. I'll, uh, I'll connect with you soon. Thank you. Cool, man. Yeah, Patrick. It's good. Enjoy, enjoy the heck out of the rest of the day. Heck yeah, man. You too. <laughs> Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Yeah. See bye. You.